Food is fuel for your body, your mind, and definitely your sport. But let's face it, nutrition is confusing and the expectations on girls and women to be thin and have a six pack are exhausting. If you've ever been frustrated with your body, confused about nutrition, obsessed with eating healthy or guilty when you don't, underate, overate, or overtrained and overwhelmed with all the pressure, then this podcast is for you. Nutrition can be easy. You can take control of it, but it might start with letting go of control by asking for help and making a change. I'm Lindsay Elizabeth Cortez, sports dietitian and owner of Rise Up Nutrition, where I empower female athletes to overcome nutrition concerns and perform at their highest level, to stop being confused by all the mixed or harmful messages, and finally have confidence in your body as a fierce, fit, and fueled female athlete. Hello, female athletes and exercisers. You will understand by the end of this episode why I just said that. We have a guest here today, Dr. Nikki Kay. She is a doctor, exercise endocrinologist, and hormone researcher based out of London in the UK. Dr. Nikki's aim is to redefine optimal health and fitness for the individual. Her approach integrates all aspects of her professional clinical experience with her medical research expertise in endocrinology. Dr. Nikki offers a clinical advisory service for those seeking a more personalized, evidence-based approach to optimizing their health. She conducts clinical endocrine research, frequently publishes in medical journals, presents at medical conferences, and is currently writing a book about hormones. A little bit about her past, she attended Cambridge University, has been a member of the Royal College of Physicians, and a research fellow at St. Thomas Hospital. She has worked with so many institutions for medical scholarships and research, which will be listed in the show notes with her official bio. Dr. K is an honorary clinical lecturer in medicine and fellow in the Department of Sport and Exercise Sciences at Durham University. She's a member of the British Menopause Society and British Association of Sports and Exercise Medicine. Dr. Nikki is Chief Medical Officer at Forth, which we will speak of later on in this podcast as well, her work with Forth. And so long story short, uh, she's an amazing expert to learn from today on the podcast. So Dr. Nikki K, welcome and we're excited to have you. Listen, thanks so much for the invitation. Likewise, looking forward to having a good discussion. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to get lots of information out of you. And so we're excited for that. You know, obviously, going over your bio, you have lots of experience in sports endocrinology, but I'd love to hear your personal background. I've listened to your podcasts and episodes you've been on and other podcasts in the past. So I know that you yourself have been a a dancer, competitive swimmer. And I'd love to just hear a little bit about your journey and, and why, you know, as an athlete yourself, hormones became such an important topic for you to explore professionally. Yeah, well, like you said, I was always interested in sport. I suppose ballet was always and still is my main passion. Uh, I still do four classes a week. So, yeah, I was always active, ballet, like you say, other things, um, competitive swimming for a while, tennis. I was in the tennis team, gymnastics. You know, I was doing a lot of stuff um, as a youngster. But then I just sort of was thinking, this is really interesting how the body, how we're able to do this. It's like this is the human body is amazing. These things. I ask it to swim fast up and down doing butterfly. And then I ask it to, to do, you know, point work and then it will do all these things 
and you know hopefully you and you get better as well and so that just got me thinking i like why i mean that's great but what's happening how does it work inside what's what's happening so that i can now from just doing a couple of fuetes on point now after practicing i do i can do many more so that was just like a curiosity thing and so that led me therefore to study medicine because I want to know what's happening with the human body and then specifically hormones because I began to realize that those are really complicated. I like complicated things. <laughs> I like trying to work out puzzles. I like trying to work out tricky things. You know, I like that. Sounds weird. but I yes, like un- hormones are like a puzzle. Hormones yeah. are like a puzzle. Exactly. Sure. So I, I really enjoyed that challenge and also that it links directly to your performance, your before, what well, we say performance, I mean, or whether it's an athletic performance, whether it's a mental performance, whether it's just whatever it is, those are all dependent on how your hormone networks are working. So that's how come number one, it was hormones. And then number two, the link with exercise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hormones are complicated. And that's why I'm so excited to talk to you about them today, because they're so important. And and it is so much of a puzzle to try and figure out what's going on. But they're so important, right? So I think we'll focus a lot of our conversation today about, you know, what happens with a lack of hormones in your performance, but you can even flip this and and know about like, well, you know, having proper levels of hormones. In fact, in a weird way, I know you've done research on like doping and stuff like that. And this is not promoted in what we should be doing. <laughs> but it's like, this helps no, no, you. Exactly. Yeah, well, I mean, yes, it's not the best way to advertise hormones, as it were. But yeah. yes, uh, you do wonder why 75% of doping offenses are hormones. Because yeah, they do support performance. There's no two ways about it. Obviously, as you say, we're not promoting that you do that. And far better to use natural methods, i.e. training and nutrition, and not try and cheat and shortcut, because that means the body is in control. That's the key thing. The body is controlled. But if you take external hormones, apart from the fact it's a tricking, uh, cheating and illegal, it's not. <laughs> but also, actually, it's very unhealthy, you see, because the body is amazing at sorting this out. Just as hormones are so complicated and fascinating, it's equally amazing and complicated how the body has over millions and millions of years of evolution. It's got a very, very good control system in place, which responds very, very well and correctly to, you know, challenges you throw at it. Whether that's training, it will know what to do. It just, you know what I mean? So actually, of course, there are conditions where, you know, medical conditions where things don't quite work out so well. But generally, trusting in your body to that it will do it if you if you're kind to it, if you present it with the good balance of the, the exercise and the nutrition, etc. Then actually, it, it's really, really amazing a uh, bit of machinery. All right. I got complicated engineering inside. So it will actually, you know, it actually will really help. It will, it wants you to be uh, fit and healthy, if I can put it like that. It will support you to do that. Absolutely. Right. This is such an important, hormones are such an important part of our athletic performance. We don't want too much slash it's also illegal, but we also don't want too little. And in the work that I do and the work that you do, we are seeing so many athletes struggle with having an imbalance in hormones, mostly on the side of a lack of hormones. We see a lot of female athletes with low estrogen, progesterone, luteinizing hormone. We even see a lot of male athletes with low testosterone. And this is, you know, 
We don't have to um, go into all the details of the definition of Red S. I just, all my listeners, I have previous episodes on what is relative energy deficiency in sport. It's actually episode two, and I think it was episode 19. We had Dr. Emily Krauss on here talking about oh, Red S and bone health. Yeah, you know her. She's wonderful. Yeah, 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 I know her. She's done a brilliant poster on it. So, but I think that that is a, but just to sort of really go back to the the fundamentals, what how do people get to that situation? It is an imbalance in the behaviors, right? So if the, your energy intake isn't sufficient compared to your energy expenditure, and of course we have psychological factors, then quite sensibly, we told, we just said how amazing the body is at, at keeping everything balanced as far as it can and, and, and working to its best. So the body quite sensibly recognizes that there's an energy deficit and it cannot do everything it's meant to be doing based on not enough energy. So quite sensibly, it looks for a way to economize. It goes into eco mode, right? Eco mode in women includes switching off your periods because that saves energy. In men, same thing applies. It will save energy if you, uh, you know, uh, lower down the reproductive axis hormone-wise and the testosterone goes like. So that is fundamentally why uh, low energy availability you end up with REDS, that's the clinical outcome, adverse clinical outcome, because the body is amazing, sorting itself out and tries to save save energy, power off. You know, when your phone, it comes up uh, power saving mode and you can switch off non-essential apps and all that sort of thing. It's just doing the same thing in your body. So that's uh, what that is. But the good news is that, you know, your behaviors very, very strongly influence your hormones. So just as that got you into that situation by having an imbalance in your behaviors equally, it's difficult, I know, but you, if you can overchange those behaviors and readjust them, guess what? The body will do its business and the hormones will reboot and everything will be working as it should. Yeah, what a great way to say it. You know, we don't want to scare people into thinking, you know, your hormones are just out of whack. It's like, no, this is fixable. Something caused them to be out of whack, focusing on your behaviors around exercise, training, sleep, lifestyle, and what behaviors can you change to get your hormones back in balance? It's a very, you know, the way you said that just makes it very, okay, we can do something about this, right? And that's really good. And and I love the, um, the little analogy of like your body and in eco mode, you know, just like uh, your phone, when battery's running low, it starts shutting off certain apps and things like that. And that's what what's happening to your body as well. So if we charge our phone, give our phone more energy, <laughs> stop using it all the time, it'll restore itself in the same way that your body will too. give your body more energy, give it some rest, let it charge up, and then you're back in full power. Once again, what a great metaphor. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So um, you know, talking about these behaviors, you know, we we do see so many behaviors in in sport, whether it's under eating, disordered eating, eating disorders, over exercise, you know, we have some crazy statistics that say things like 62% of female athletes experience disordered eating, or nearly 25% of collegiate athletes have menstrual dysfunction. And I say crazy because it's it's shockingly like when you see the numbers, you're like, whoa, that's a lot. But I think in reality, it's like, yeah, this is very common. It's not good, but it's very common. And you and I know that as working in this field. I'm curious to hear your perspective, you know, specific to 
sports like dance and the performing arts and more of those artistic sports, because that's a little bit of a specialty of yours. You know, are those numbers similar, higher, lower? Like how much do does disordered eating and some of the behaviors of overexercise, underfueling, hormone imbalance affect athletes of those artistic sports? Yeah, well, I think you make a very good point. Um, although it's a, although the name is red, a relative energy deficiency in sport, actually, we should just say in exercise in general, because elite athletes, I know there are some, but generally elite athletes will have the advantage of having the backup of, a, you know, a dietitian, a doctor, etc. But actually, it's the aspiring amateur athlete or dancer where you won't have all that back up and you know bombarded by I have to blame social media a bit or whatever you know and that's what I found in my recent dance study so in the answer to your question is absolutely it can affect dancers so we're not just talking about sport and we're not talking even elite or professional uh, level we're talking all levels and we're talking all ages we think of it more as teenagers 20 year olds 30 year olds but actually you know masters athletes in their 40s 50s it can be the same thing. So yes, certainly all sorts of sports, all ages, all levels, and certainly in the athletic sports like diving and gymnastics, are rhythmic gymnastics. We know that uh, reds uh, can be high level, like you say, but certainly in dancers from my recent survey at the end of last year, we published, we did an international survey. And yeah, it was a little bit scary. <laughs> that was male and female dancers uh, that, that were actually were quite high levels, although my recent work with a professional company has shown actually the levels aren't that high. So again, I think it goes back to the, you know, the aspiring, the amateur, the student who doesn't have all the resources and doesn't actually understand the long-term consequence of it. By the time you've got a professional contract with a company, I mean, yes, we have to say, sadly, there will be some dancers who will run into problems. But actually, um, you know, in order to hold down your job, basically, and perform well and get chosen for good parts, you have to be healthy, you know. You know, we know there are some exceptions, uh, but, yeah, it's definitely something. I think those statistics you quoted, you know, that that's, as you say, uh, concerning, that uh, it's, it's more than you expect. And I think part of the reason is because there is a perception of, number one, it's only women. I had a male athlete who said to me, well, how would you feel if you got told you had the female athlete triad? So, you know, so number one, men, we know where they're probably underrepresented. We don't know. If, anyway, certainly in the cycling study I did, male cyclists, actually, there was quite a few that I was concerned about. So it's it's men. And also, you know, like we said, the different it's not just this elite thing. I have lots of people come and see me and they almost apologize. They say, oh, I'm not an athlete. It's like, yes, you're not an athlete, yet why are you training, exercising so, so much and avoiding carbohydrates and all these other things? So I think that's the other thing we really, really need to make clear, that it could happen to any of us for whatever reason. Thank you so much for saying that. And, you know, I, I want to be the first to say, because this is the Female Athlete Nutrition Podcast, but the definition of athlete, this doesn't mean you have to be pro. It doesn't mean you have to even consider yourself that. But it is, you know, you're exercising, you're training, you're using your body and you you need to fuel. Yeah, exactly. So any form of exercise you're training effectively, especially if you're training more than, you know, on a regular basis, more than once a week. What's the definition of training or exercise, you know? 
and especially the some of the people I see who are, who are exercising and, and saying they're not an athlete, it's like, well, yes, you might not think you're an athlete, but you're training as much as as, as a professional athlete, yet you have not, you're not feeling like they would, and you haven't got all the backup and everything, and you know, you don't, you're not taking enough recovery, you're not taking a rest day, you're not doing polarized training, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like start calling yourself an athlete, and then maybe you will start doing things yeah, the recovery yeah. way, fueling the right way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that I see this in my experience a lot too, that, you know, it's a lot of the the younger high schoolers or recreational amateurs, people who are like, well, I'm not at that level. But it's like, well, you, you almost need to start you know, acting like you are so you can start doing the recovery, the sleep, the proper nutrition. Otherwise, you you know, you shouldn't be training as you are. Mm. Yeah, well, you've got to get into good habits like anything in life. If you want to take something seriously, maybe not professionally, but if you want to take something seriously and you want to do it to the best and get the most enjoyment, actually, you know, you should be considering everything. You know, if you sit down to do whatever it is, a piece of work, I don't know, writing up an essay or something. Thankfully, I don't have to do many of those. But anyway, you're uh, <laughs> all writing up a paper, for example. You know, if you do it in a slapstash way, it's just not going to cut it. So actually, if you're going to do the exercise, you might as well make sure you might get the most out of it and you support your hormones so that you get the most out of it mentally and physically and enjoyment wise, of course. So so I guess it's, it's just that sort of case of, of, of you know, almost having a professional approach, I suppose. Yes, you want, we don't want to say that people often do exercise for the enjoyment, but I think my argument will be you're going to enjoy it more if you feel you're doing it well, you see? I agree. Um, if you actually have the energy to, I don't know, whatever it is, cycle up a hill, or, uh, you know, or, or, or run around the track or play a game of tennis, I did that today. You know, if you have, if you feel you could, you're doing that well, then actually that, is going to add to your enjoyment rather than really struggling and feeling so tired. Maybe you haven't fueled enough or you haven't slept enough and you're trying to, you're, oh, you're going to play a day, game of tennis for enjoyment, but then actually it ends up, it's not an enjoyment. <laughs> it right. ends up with frustration, doesn't it? And so I guess that's my argument is for, you know, bearing all those factors in mind, right? So that you can enjoy your exercise. That enjoy and get the most out of it. The E in yeah. exercise is for enjoyment. That's what one of our other podcast guests told me yeah, one time. So that's yeah, a good one. Exactly. Yeah. So, so let's talk about um, hormones specifically. I just love to hear it in your own words. So if we are talking about low energy availability or, or REDS, you know, most of our hormones are, are suppressed. We're in that eco mode, as you mentioned it. So what are some things that we might see on a blood panel where we see low estrogen? Can you just kind of review that for people who maybe have gotten blood work done by a doctor? Like what are some of the hormonal profiles of low energy availability or, or REDS? Well, I suppose also before we even look at the bloods the clinically, ha- have you got regular periods? Yes, no. Because they're a very good indicator of your internal uh, hormones. So I call periods the uh, barometer of healthy internal female hormones. So first of all, if you're a woman, have I got regular uh, periods? And also by periods, and I'm sure that Emily would have, Dr. Emily would have said this, uh, by periods, just to clarify, we mean having uh, periods, menstruation, bleeds, not on hormonal contraception. Correct. Okay, so just to be absolutely sure, we're talking about the same thing. If you're on the birth control pill, you, you guys call it over there, I call it the combined oral contraceptive. Anyway, if you're on the pill for contraception, then the bleed you get on that, they're withdrawal bleeds, they're not your own period. So if you're a woman and you're having uh, 
regular menstrual cycles and you're not on the pill, then actually that's already a very good starting point. So maybe you don't even necessarily need to look into it further if that's the case? Well, I I think that if you're feeling tired, I think, yeah, I think um, I just want to sort of go through the stages. So so that's the first thing, just like a mental check, are my periods regular or not? I think if you, even if you have regular periods, but you're just feeling super tired, then yes, I would still probably actually recommend you do a blood test because you you need to look at the female hormones. Yes, but actually you probably need to check some others like the thyroid hormones and vitamin D and, and iron and other things. But my only thing about the blood test we do for female hormones is that generally, uh, and I know it's the same pretty much all over the world, we say women do your blood test on day three of your cycle. The, re- the reason we say that is because then we know it's at a fixed time because we know that women do the, a variation, but there's, it's a variation on the theme. Each individual woman will have a slightly different timing of it. So if you do it on a different day in your cycle, we're gonna, not going to know if the woman says, oh, I did it actually, I did it on day 14. I don't know whether that for her is where that is in her cycle. Is it the follicular? Is it the luteal? Is it ovulation? I don't know. So the only, so that's why we say day three. But the only problem with the day three is that I've seen women, even if they're not having, if they're amenorrheic, not having any periods, they've been told, oh, your bloods, your hormones are in the normal range. They are in the normal range. It's true, but they're right at the bottom, right, 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 right at the bottom. So... The hormones to look for, for sure, the female hormones, but with that caveat that they won't tell you everything. You need to know also what you're on the background of all your cycles, regular or not. So FSH, LH, estradiol, like you said, for day three. Also, other hormones I always do would be the thyroid function. Uh, so TSH, T43. T3, very handy, gives you indicator of short-term energy availability. So you said, is it worth doing other blood tests, other hormones? Yeah, so that would be the thyroid, you see. Even if a woman's having regular cycles and she comes and sees me and says she's feeling really tired. Well, first of all, you'd obviously always take the clinical history, find out what the nutrition is, what the training is. And so you might get the obvious answer there. But then to back it up with that information, because people do want information, thyroid, uh, vitamin D, I'm finding. It's, a, it's an interesting one because that affects well-being. And although we've had a heat wave here in the UK, <laughs> uh, generally we don't have so much sun. And so we're all recommended here to take vitamin D supplement over the winter. But actually athletes, we need to be at, need to be at a slightly higher level than the sedentary population. So, so vitamin D is an interesting one. I've come across it quite a lot, that it can be low in the cause of not just, just feeling a bit subpar, not great. Other ones that I would always do, you mentioned, these aren't hormones, this one uh, so much, uh, but iron, of course, uh, for, for women is important. But other hormones, I often do 9M cortisol, prolactin, because those are stress hormones. So if the person's got a really high training load, well, mm, that's actually quite a good indicator. There can be other sources of stress because the body doesn't distinguish between stress, but it just gives you an overall picture, an internal check of where things are. Yeah, absolutely. That was a really great rundown. And vitamin D is so interesting. It's a vitamin, but it actually really is a hormone. So it, well, it's a hormone. Exactly. It's a pro-hormone. Exactly. It's a steroid hormone. Yay. It's of a hormone. It is, it's a, yeah, 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 exactly. That's why I sneak it in there. And it's um, it has a synergistic effect with other hormones, with estrogen, for example. So even if your estrogen might be okay, but your vitamin D is low, then that's not ideal. Uh, for your bone health, etc. So you need to take care of all these details. Yeah. And I think getting 
all of these measured is important. Going back to what you said in the beginning, it's like a puzzle, right? Like, so you might be missing your menstrual cycle and we've got to kind of figure out why, right? If we look at, okay, missing menstrual cycle and we see T3 is altered, well, maybe this is because of short-term energy availability, but maybe it has nothing to do with energy availability. Maybe your cortisol skyrocketing. We're like, wow, this is stress-related, you know? Yeah, that's a very good point you make because cortisol, it just puts a, a dampener on all the hormones. And the reason is because if you are in a stressful situation, again, it's this diverting the energy to where you need it, you see, sort of principle. And, you know, the brain... Uh, the boss of all the hormones, the hypothalamus, it doesn't distinguish. It doesn't have an email with the type, the subject of the thing saying the stress, this stress is from training. This stress is from an argument with a, somebody. This stress is from whatever. You see, it doesn't, it doesn't know. I wish it did. <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't. But so, but it treats it all the same, but quite correctly, because even if you, whether you're doing a hard training session or you're working really hard, actually, you still need to put the energy into that you see what I mean so so the the brain doesn't distinguish where stress is coming from doesn't have the subject in the email so the cortisol will go high and the, the effect of cortisol is to it's the fight and flight that sort of thing isn't it and so again it like you say it prevents the conversion of t4 to t3 and if we see someone uh you know in medical terms we see someone coming in you know uh, with a really acute overactive thyroid Yes, we give them a beta blocker to slow their heart down, but we also give them IV steroids because it prevents that conversion, you see. So, so yeah, you make a very good point about cortisol can sort of put a spanner in the works, but it's not really a spanner in the works. It's all this, there's a reason for everything that the body has, you know what I mean? So, but from our point of view, if actually we want energy for doing other things, it, it we perceive it as a spanner in the works, but actually it's just a very efficient way of doing things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, this has got me thinking as we're talking about how your hormones might be affected in low energy, low energy availability or REDS. No, often with that, your first thing was, do we have regular periods? Yes or no. But I, that's kind of, if we're looking at it like, oh, I had my period and then maybe I lost it. It's become irregular. Maybe I want to look into my hormones as well, do this blood test. Is this different for some young athletes who might be experiencing what we call primary amenorrhea? So they they've haven't hit puberty yet, just delayed. They might be age 16, 17, 18 and have never had a menstrual cycle. Are these similar things going on with the hormonal profile or does it look different? You know, it would be the same. I mean, uh, so that's a very good point. We should just clarify on that. So amenorrhea means no periods. Primary amenorrhea means no periods. Well, in the UK, I would say by your 16th birthday. In the US, they say 15, but I'm going to I'm going to give people the benefit of the doubt and say if you're 15 years and 11 months, <laughs> you see what I mean. But anyway, but anyway, the point is it's 16, right? Yeah. On 16 and zero months, if you have not had your periods, that's called primary amenorrhea, and it definitely needs medical investigation because most. Uh, depending on the situation, it could well be that it's the same etiology as secondary amenorrhea, which means your periods have started, but then they stop for six months or more. In the US, three months or more. But anyway, they stop for a, for a, a certain uh, number of cycles. But the only so the so the the mechanism of that could be the same. It could be low energy availability. So FSH will be low. LH FSH LH will be low. Estradiol will be low. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, lower end of the range. But the only difference, I guess, is if primary amenorrhea, because you never had a period, 
then there are some additional tests that sometimes we do just to make sure. Because if if they've started and then they've stopped, we know that, well, at least they have started. We, the body does know what to do. Primary amenorrhea, occasionally there are some other additional tests like a genetic test just to test, check that there's no other reason going on. But otherwise, yes, it can. it's the same picture on the bloods and the same underlying reason of low energy availability in reds. But I think, I mean, it's not great in either situation, <laughs> whatever age you are, if your period stop, it's not good. But I suppose if if we're going to really say, you know, probably the primary amenorrhea is e- of even more concern. Yeah. Because during uh, the teenage years and your period starting, then your bone mineral density, you've probably heard Dr. Emily talking about that, you reach your peak bone mass early 20s. So if there's a break on that, then you've got to, how are you going to climb up that hill to get, uh, and that's what happens with lots of athletes. Uh, my other colleague, Kate Ackerman in the States, she's done some lovely work on this and shows that, you know, these, the youngsters in their teenage years, even if they've got primary amenorrhea, they often turn around and say, oh, I haven't got a stress fracture. I'm not. But then her study shows that actually when the stress fractures happen is when they do reach their 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have many examples of that where, you know, the bones are actually pretty, they're still hopeful. I suppose the bones are still hoping that something will happen. But then by the time you come to your 20s and you've got primary amenorrhea, you haven't got any estrogen. And now you're moving into the senior ranks. You've got to train more, put more load through the bones and the bones are just not up to it. And that's when she showed in her study, that's when all the stress fractures just explode Mm -hmm. if you've got primary amenorrhea. So I think that's the other important point we should make that, uh, and I'm sure you see it also. Yes. uh, Lots of exercises, we're going to be using that word from now on. Lots of exercises come and they've got amenorrhea, be it primary or secondary. And, uh, you know, they say, well, listen, I'm not sure. I think I'm fine. I feel fine. I haven't had a stress fracture. I'm doing fine. I, you know, what's the mot- what's my motivation to change? Okay. And I sort of do the, the, I do the good and the bad cop. I do the bad cop and say, yes, you're fine now, but give it another six months or year or however long it might be. And it will catch up with you. Yeah. You will get a stress fracture. You will, your performance will start to tail off. But then also on the positive side, that if you make the changes now, change your behaviors now, then you're going to, number one, avoid the negative stuff. But actually, you've been underperforming, even though you're sitting there saying, I'm fine, I can do exercise, I'm, I'm, I'm doing quite well. Actually, you're selling yourself short and you could reach who knows where. You're selling yourself short. You can't reach your full potential unless you've got your hormones on board. So it can also, you can, that's how I always use it as a motivator to try and help people to change. Yeah, and it's such a good motivator because I think for many years people were and probably still are under the assumption of like oh if I don't have my period maybe I'm more like a man and maybe that help you know maybe that's better but it's like no all of your hormones are suppressed all of all of the hormones including testosterone exactly testosterone as well testosterone for lean but muscle mass but also you know to give to be fair estrogen is really really important bones we've just mentioned cardiovascular health that's why menopausal women, when estrogen levels go low, that's why they have a higher risk of cardiovascular health. Generally, I don't actually do a lipid profile on a woman that's amenorrheic because I know what it will show. I know it, it won't look good. But then the exerciser will get upset and think that she's eating too much fat when actually the, precisely the opposite. She's not eating enough full stop. 
So actually, thank you for bringing that up. That that's a huge point. So estrogen is good. Estrogen is good for your bones. It's good for your cardiovascular health. It's also good for your neuromuscular system. Lovely study by Anna Mellon from Denmark. Uh, women who amenorrheic, not having periods, they had a slower reaction time and peak po- peak power production compared to the eumenorrheic regular menstruating women. So with estrogen is elixir <laughs> for for your health and your performance. So if you haven't got it, you bones, cardiovascular, you're just not going to be good. And of course, mood is a neurotransmitter, serotonin. So you're also going to be not, you might kid yourself that you feel fine. You, I mean, actually, genuinely, you might think you're okay, but it's like everything. You never know. I've had so many athletes who do manage to put in place these changes. It's a challenge. They do change and they come back and they say, oh, my goodness, now I know. I do feel better. I thought I was fine, but now I feel I feel better. I feel energized. And also, especially in dance, we need our neuro fine motor control for ballet. And uh, dancers coming back and saying, now I can pick up the steps more quickly and I can put in place the corrections because if you if anyone's listening doing uh, ballet especially, you know you have to be really on the ball because the teacher will say, right, do rond plié, jeté, blah. You know, they give you a thing of how to do it, right, a list, well, not list, just like, uh, and you have to remember that immediately and put it immediately into practice. So if your brain is not up to speed, cognitive function, reaction time slow, it's not going to go well. So that's why estrogen is super important. And also, like you say, testosterone, um, the whole thing is switched off. The whole thing is in eco mode, remember? So, you know, the testosterone, you, so you won't be more like a man. No. Nope. And actually, you know, no, that's, it doesn't, doesn't work, work like, that. like that. No, it doesn't work like that. So uh, I agree with you. So, it's like yeah. people don't always know how, how bad they feel until they feel better. And then it's like, oh, yes, I exactly. do have more focus. I can't pay it. I do have quicker reaction times. And then, you know, as an exerciser or an athlete, whatever, then you finally do start. Oh, I did PR finally, you know, it's like, and we have a few studies coming out with that of compare, you know, it's the research is always evolving, but we do have a few studies of some runners. I think some swimmers of, you know, amenorrhea versus eumenorrhea normal periods yeah, yeah, the like, swimmers the swimmers is a good example the 400 meter time they didn't improve so much yeah. that one yeah yeah that one you're thinking yeah. of yeah that one they didn't improve their swim time so well so i think that's also the other thing that it we have absolute evidence that it affects your performance because lots of athletes might say well listen i just um you know health yeah whatever when i'm older i'll deal with that but actually the here and now of how you're going to perform as an athlete, exerciser, dancer, as you say, there's good evidence, neuromuscular skills, and also that's a very, that's swimming study. And, and so actually your performance is going to suffer as well. So that kind of is counterproductive, isn't it? Totally. If you think you're doing this, going back, is if actually you, you think that you're going to improve your performance by being leaner, whatever, whatever, actually that's precisely the opposite. Or it gets to a point, it gets to a tipping point. Right. There's a, each of us, each of us has an individual optimal set point where our hormones are going to work at their best. And that's going to depend on our genetics, our personal physiology, and of course, the type of exercise we're doing, right? Because how 
you fuel for if you're um let's think of some extreme examples how you fuel if you're a like a, an ultra endurance runner or weightlifter should we have i don't know yes. it's going to be very different it's going to be very different very different so there is no generic oh you need to eat x y and z and then whatever it's going to be individual depending on your sport and depending on you so that's i think that's also where people make assumptions oh well so and so a friend you know was restricting their carbohydrates and suddenly they did a very good time so oh if i do the same that will happen to me but number one it might not apply to you in any way that person may have had one good performance but let's see how they are in a couple of years time you see right so that's the other thing so try not to you know think of you're an individual be proud of it right (laughs) And it's probably one of the hardest things for us to do, but so important to not compare just because somebody else is a certain size, weight, somebody else is eating a certain something or exercising at a certain level doesn't mean that that's inherently right for you, whether they're seeing success or not. You know, we have to treat ourselves as individuals. Yeah, well, we should be proud of that as well. Um, I've got a lovely quote on that. The, it's actually from the, it's not mine, unfortunately. <laughs> it's actually from the vice president of the Royal College of Obstetrics Gynecology here in the UK. And um, she said, treat women as individuals, not statistics. Beautiful. Um, she was actually referring to HRT. But anyway, the, the principle is the same, that not only we wouldn't want to be treated as a statistic, would we? But why? And so we shouldn't treat ourselves as a statistic either. We should, uh, you know, we are individuals. So just, you know, just take a moment to think what's what's right for you, what's going to make you the happiest and most successful, et cetera. And, and that really comes full circle, too, with I think what you specialize in, what I specialize in is like, wait, let's let's we know how prevalent disordered eating and red S is in female athletes. But let's treat you like an individual. Let's look at your your blood biomarkers, your hormones. For me as a dietitian, let's look at how you're eating and figure out what the right steps are for you to fix this, because it might not be exactly the same for everybody. So we need to treat you like an individual. Yeah, and that's the other thing. I think that there's maybe some misconception that reds, oh, I've had people say, oh, it's only for people with, that's not me, because it's only eating disorders. Um, eating disorders, it, they are medical conditions diagnosed by DSM criteria, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, frankly, you have to be pretty ill, you know, to have that. But this this area you're talking about, disordered eating, and there was a lovely article in the BJ Sim where they had a nice gradation of, you know, optimal eating for the individual and um, an eating disorder, and then somewhere in the middle, disordered eating. And that can be very subtle differences. Uh, and actually, it's a really tricky one. And you have to be honest with yourself, really. If you say, oh, no, 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 I haven't got disordered eating, but actually, you know, you have anxiety if someone, if you go to someone's house or you go out and you and someone presents you with something that you don't feel comfortable eating with, uh, eating, um, you know, like a plate of pasta, for example. Carbohydrates, for some reason, have particular bad press. I don't know if you have that same experience. So We have the same issue in the U.S., yes. Yeah. So, so that's what we mean about the disordered eating. It's not, it's, it's a subtle one, an orthorexia of avoiding certain food types. And you look at the person, and the person externally looks healthy, right? But internally, their hormones tell a different story. Internally, 
that it's not looking so 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 good. It's probably the majority of my work and the majority of clients, athletes, exercisers that come to me is, you know, they might say, well, I don't have an eating disorder. I'm like, okay, but we're doing some behaviors, actions with our food that aren't supporting our optimal health internally or our optimal performance and still needs to be addressed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's, I think, an important point to make to people if they're thinking, oh, that, that can't be me, like you say, or oh, I haven't got an eating disorder. No, you, you haven't. <laughs> but you might have disordered eating or, or some variation on the theme. Uh, but that's but it's still ultimately a psychological thing. And that's why on the one hand, it's good. On the one hand, it's positive. On the one hand, if you have just got this imbalance in behaviors and your hormones aren't so great, eco mode, then the good news is you haven't got a medical condition that you need to go to hospital for and get, you know, a medication. So that's, that's great. But that's not to dismiss to just say that it's, uh, can sometimes be challenging to overcome. Changing behaviors is tricky. Some people don't realize it. I mean, I'm sure you have some exercisers who actually, they didn't realize they didn't realize that they needed to fuel so much for a four-hour bike ride. Uh, my son's actually a rider. I don't know. People probably can't see this. I've got tons of bikes in the background. Yes. Because <laughs> my family is a cycling family. Anyway, my son is a he's a um, competitive cyclist. He's also a cycle coach. And he went cycling with someone the other day who couldn't believe they were saying, gosh, you eat a lot. Well, I mean a lot. He was eating a banana and a bar at regular intervals. So not a lot, but compared to they weren't eating anything. So it might be that the person didn't realize that they should needed to feel this way. And that's actually quite straightforward if you just say, well, actually, you you didn't realize fair enough. This is what you have to do. Have some bananas in the back pocket, et cetera. It's sort of a bit more straightforward. But it's the people who are intentionally not fueling or avoiding food groups you know, why have they done that in the first place? Yeah. And so especially if you've got that ingrained behavior, you keep doing that, then that's tricky. So we do have to acknowledge it and say to everyone, yes, we know it's tough to change behaviors, but ultimately it, it's kind of, you have to, we're here to support, aren't we? Whatever methods it is to change those behaviors, because in the long run, number one, you're going to be happier, like we said, and actually, you're going to achieve the goals that you want to achieve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a good motivation to to seek that help. You know, you don't have to be a certain level of sickness or problems or diagnosis to seek help for yourself. And there's that's probably a really big, really big population of people who resonate with what you're expressing. And so, you know, people like yourself over in the UK and people like me or me over here in the US, like we're here to support all those people as well. Excellent. You know, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, we talked about amenorrhea and we talked about uh, primary amenorrhea. How about this is confusing. Um, How about things like perimenopause? Like what can women do as they're going through those initial stages of of menopause and hormones are out of whack? Is there is there anything we can do? Is testing helpful or is it just weighted out? And, you know, what can be done during those time periods? Well, here in the UK, I'm very proud to say that we've managed to figure out a way of getting more insights into hormones. Because like I've said, it's very tricky, female hormones, doing it on day three. It gives you some information, but very limited. 
So here we've just figured out a way of using applying artificial intelligence techniques. Good. I was going to gonna ask you about this. <laughs> so this is really, but this is actually very helpful for perimenopause, which we'll come to, but also athletes who are wondering, oh, have I got low energy availability and am I recovering from this? So the principle is the way you really would want to do it would be to do a blood test every single day of the cycle and plot the graph right now. <laughs> Obviously, that's not going to happen. No, too difficult. Not going to do that. Too expensive to, no, anyway. So not going to happen. But this is where clever maths, math, mathematical modeling comes in. And actually, you only need to do two samples we've worked out. And you can estimate, if you will. You know, just like you do in an experiment at school, you take a certain number of readings and you plot the best fit line. You, you know, you have to sort of fill in the gaps. You can't be in the, the, the laboratory at school every single you know <laughs> minute taking all the readings or whatever, right? So that's the principle of it. And why would you want to do that? Why do we want to know those fluctuations is because the detail of the hormones, right? The detail of the hormones, what's happening. And by doing this, we can distinguish because I had lots of athletes in their 40s who come and say to me, I'm not feeling so great. Is this, am I perimenopause? Or have I got low energy availability? So I'm like, hmm. I mean, I do the thyroid test. And that to date, what I've done is I've, you know, done what I can. It could be vitamin D after all. It could be the thyroid function gives us an idea about the energy availability. Uh, but actually, it's pretty tricky. It's very difficult to distinguish just on symptoms. Because after all, perimenopause, the period is becoming irregular. That can also happen in the buildup in with low energy availability and the recovery from low energy availability. So that's how I would be able to distinguish by doing this mathematical modeling. I can then more confidently say, yes, this is perimenopause or actually it's a low energy availability issue. Okay. And then that will help direct. I mean, I suppose you could argue for either a woman, whoever you are, you need to be looking at your nutrition, like we said, but more targeted, more personalized advice. And I'm also finding this approach very useful for women who are recovering from low energy availability, who have had amenorrhea and then their periods restart. And generally, I say, wait till you've had three periods and before you start changing up your training. But I don't really, well, I, say I don't really know. I mean, after all, menstruation is the barometer of healthy internal hormones. But to really get the detail, it's every single thing working as it should. If I do this test, then I can reassure them and say, yes, ovulation's happened and we're all good, we can. Or I've had an athlete recently who I said, I'm sorry that it, it did something, but it wasn't quite what we wanted. So I'm afraid we can't count that one <laughs> as the three, or we got a, you know, that one doesn't count sort of thing. But uh, the perimenopause group, what happens at perimenopause is totally different to the low energy availability. So low energy availability, we said, that goes into eco mode, everything Shuts, goes down. LH, FSH, uh, estradiol, progesterone, go low. Perimenopause, the fault is not, is actually that of the ovaries. The ovaries just become a bit tired. <laughs> they go into retirement. They've been working all, their whole life. They've They're been tired. working hard. They've been working, exactly. So, 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 but the email hasn't been sent to the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus uh, it just gets very annoyed with the ovaries. <laughs> and says, look, can you try a bit harder? So it sends out very high levels of FSH and LH. So this now is totally different. Totally different. Low energy availability, everything low. 
perimenopause, menopause. Uh, yeah, one's too high and too low. And so you quite easy. Well, when I say you can easily, you can, if you do what I've described, distinguish. But otherwise, it's, you, it's very difficult on just what the person says. But for the perimenopausal group, and after all, we should all be exercising as we get older. Really, really important. So I see lots of master athletes who they want to continue competing and training and they want to be feeling good <laughs> and not miserable. So actually knowing that uncertainty. Am I perimenopausal or not? It's horrible. I'm speaking from experience. <laughs> I'm quite old, right? You know, you just you just like you don't know for sure. But if you know, okay, fine, then at least you can feel you're in control. It's like, okay, this is what it is. You know, this is what I need to do to try and manage the symptoms. And this is the homework reading I need to do to go and look up about HRT so that you can make a really good informed decision, you know, rather than wondering in limbo, wondering what's what's going on. And then eventually your periods, everyone's, every woman's periods will stop at menopause. And then you're there and it's like, oh, fine. So that's that's what it was. And now you're in a little bit of a, you're not feeling great anyway, by the way, because your estrogen's low, so your brain isn't working, you know. And so actually, and then you like, ah, no, now I've got to make a decision about the HRT. It all is a bit of a, you know, uh, you haven't got that time to really consider and, and uh, look at your options. Yeah, that was a wonderful explanation. And so this, this artificial intelligence to track that you're talking about, is this, you know, this is something you're doing research with and kind of working with right now. Is it available for other people's newly well, it's not available. Well, we're tr- we're trying to figure this out. Okay, it's up and well, it's up and running as a commercial product here in the UK. So I work with a, a company called Full. So we've I'm really proud we got it up and running. So we've been if you live in the UK, <laughs> uh, we can do it. But we are looking to absolutely extend this worldwide because we want all women to have this this um, hormone intelligence. Yes, I want it. I want this. (laughs) Yeah. So at the moment, uh, at the moment, I've just got a kind of some doctor friends and and friends who are sending me their results. And I'm, I'm doing it when I say manually, I'm in, I'm running the model for them. But in the long term, hopefully, yes, we're going to set up a way wherever you live, US or whatever, you send your results, and then we can make the model. But obviously, because we've made it, <laughs> we're not giving this model away, right? Uh, right, we've got it here in the UK, but we absolutely want to, the whole reason I did all of this was because I saw there was a massive need. Women need to know. Yeah. Women need to know what's happening with their hormones. Uh, and so, yes, ultimately, I, I'm passionate about making this available worldwide. I mean, you know, like if you did want to do it, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can send me your results. I'll tell you about it. And I can enter them in and put them in. But hopefully we will, are working on that, that we can collaborate internationally because ultimately it's a data transfer thing, which definitely is not my thing. Um, but I know for sure it's possible. Yeah, oh, it's very exciting. And so, you know, that's a reason to, you know, follow you. I know you have a blog written about this on your website. So we'll include that in the show notes. So this yes, is- people can, yeah, they can look at that. And also there's a blog I wrote for the BJ Sim, British Journal of Sports Medicine. So yeah, people want, but it's, it's sort of very similar to what I have on, on my website. So you can see the rationale. And also, you know, just sort of stay in touch and uh, be on be the updated. lookout. 
Yeah. And yeah. Okay. When we do figure out all the tech, when I say we figure out, I'm definitely not figuring out the tech. Uh, I've done the I've done the medical bit right. Um, when the, the the tech is is in place, that we can offer this literally worldwide. There's no reason why we can't. It's just as I say, uh, you know, the, the technical aspects of it, and of course, it's got to be secure data and all this. But that's possible. That's what happens in the world already. So this is it will definitely happen. But I, uh, we've got it up and running, and everything is great in the in the UK, and I'm using it already with a lot of people, athletes and dancers I work with. So it's I can absolutely say it's it's proving very very useful, and hopefully it will be available for everybody. Yeah, well. I'm so excited to to follow that, you know, and and see the progress with it. Like you said, you've done the the work as a a doctor and a researcher. The science is there. It's just getting the technology to exactly. uh, to follow suit. Good thing technology moves fast these days. So, uh. <laughs> well, that's the yeah, that's that is very very true. Uh, and especially, you know, we've got a good team at Fourth. They know what they're doing, the tech wise, you know, and made uh, the app and everything. So uh, that's definitely not my area of expertise. But you're right. There's definitely the the possibilities to, to make this happen relatively soon. And regardless of the of the AI, you know, I think a big takeaway from our conversation today too is to really empower women with with their hormones and understanding them, getting knowledge. You know, if you think something is off, these are good things to investigate, to uh, get blood work done, to get hormone testing, to work with a sports endocrinologist like yourself and try and put the pieces of the puzzle together because they are so powerful in your health, in your mood, in your performance, in your athletics and exercise journey. And so we really want to empower women to, you know, take control of their hormones yeah and, and also that positive the other thing we discussed is that so you know so you're empowered with that information to make good choices because um your choices do influence your hormones mm-hmm. so if you know that your hormones maybe for example your hormones show that you're you are actually under fueling and then you know fine now you know what to do you go and look at your nutrition and then that will make a difference to your hormones, make them happy mm-hmm. and make you happy. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, so it empowers you, you, you have the information, but it also then enables you to make good decisions what to do next. So it's a sort of a feedback loop. There's a feedback loops in the hormones in the body. Yep. You see happening. There's also a bigger feedback loop going to the outside. So you need to um, you know, factor that in for your decisions because it's your your choices your your behavioral choices with these things mm-hmm. absolutely thank you so much dr k for coming on and having this conversation with us empowering women across the world with their hormones and kind of dropping so much knowledge there was so much information so you might you i should have put a warning at the beginning of this podcast to bring out a <laughs> pen and pen and notebook to take notes you might, might have to listen to it a couple times over again um if uh you know you have uh your own services for the uk if you want to take a moment to let people know how they can reach out how how they can find you if they're interested in in working with you where can they find you so yeah if you want to put a link to my website nikkihayfitness.com i am based in the uk but i do offer advisory uh, virtual appointments to people and i've worked with a couple of uh, uh, athletes uh, exercisers in the us australia new zealand so that's certainly possible and anyway on my website i try and put blogs and, and 
information and including the AI that we talked about so people can go there. And I also give quite a few presentations. Uh, I just gave the female, I was just at the female athlete conference with Dr. Emily and Dr. Kate Ackerman that arranged it. And I've got one presenting at Barca, for example. So, you know, if you go there, you can see if you're interested in listening to me doing a presentation at the next thing or uh, blogs, what I'm up to and all that sort of thing. So that's a really good starting point. And then if you're curious, although it's not yet available worldwide, if you go to the fourth website also, you can see what it looks like. They got a mock-up of what happens, uh, what it looks like on the app, you know, how, how it works and everything like that. So you can sort of get a sneak preview of hopefully what's coming what's coming to you soon. <laughs> yeah, so exciting. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much again, Dr. K. We'll include all of that, uh, all the links in the show notes for people to reach out to you if they need to learn more, learn more about their, their selves and their hormones. Cool. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining. I really hope you enjoyed that episode and thanks for listening. But before I let you go, I have free resources that you can have access to right away, right now, so that you can start fueling your body as a fierce, fit, and fueled female athlete. First, I have your Red S recovery race. If you've ever wondered if you might be struggling with Red S, curious to learn more, or know you have Red S and are looking to recover fast, then you can head to www.riseupnutritionrun.com slash red S and download the red S recovery race. See how you place and figure out the next steps to recovery. Plus while there, I have a few other great resources for you, including three nutrition secrets that every elite athlete swears by and access to our private Facebook community, female athlete nutrition. So again, to gain access to all of this, head to riseupnutritionrun.com slash red S that's backslash R E D S. And you can gain access and get the help you need fast. Too many girls and women and female athletes struggle with nutrition, but you don't have to any longer become fierce, fit and fueled links in the show notes, and I'll see you next time.